Yo, yo, yo! Welcome to episode 23 of the Archapreneur Now podcast. I am your host, Heath Armstrong. A skittamarinkity dinkity dink, a skittamarinkity doo. Our guest today is going to light you up. It is Rick Cassman, all the way from London. He was the lead singer of a band called The Straight Eight. Back in the late 70s and early 80s, he signed a Pete Townsend's label, Eel Pie Records. He was on tour in support of Queen in 1981. He's played with some amazing names. He has seen some of the most amazing concerts ever performed. And you're going to have to wait to get into the interview to find out which ones I'm talking about. He was actually with Pete Townsend the day that Keith Moon died. Find out all about how that day changed his career. And guess what? He's getting the band back together. That's right. Find out all about it right now. For all the show notes, artsynow.com forward slash 23 to leave a review and give me a five-star rating, which is much appreciated. Uh, Artsynow.com forward slash iTunes. It helps spread the show to larger audiences and we can make this cause move. Here we go. Come on, everybody. Let me hear that beat. Come on, come on, everybody. Let me hear that beat. Here we go now. Who wants to get funky? Who wants to get a little creative out there? Which one of you want to get a little bit artsy now? Well then get on with your bad self. Everybody! Jump in the time machine, because our guest is going to make you boogie all the way back to 1978. He's the lead singer for the one and only Straight A, all the way from across the ocean in London. Everybody welcome Rick Casman. Rick, you are the entrepreneur now. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing really well. How are you? Oh, fantastic. I couldn't be any better, actually. I just uh, am thoroughly enjoying myself today for some reason. Well, the sun's been shining in England, which is <laughs> rare, but we're having a great time here. And um, I'm sure it's really hot where you are as well. It's hot, but it, it rains pretty much every day here, too. So No, we don't like that. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Rick... Uh, I'm so happy to have you on today because you've got a very interesting story to, sh- to, to share. And basically, here's the super duper scooper. Uh, Straight Eight originally formed in around 1976. Is that correct? That's right. Yep. And you were signed to Pete Townsend's label, uh, Eel Pie Records, and That's... released three albums. Yeah, we released one on Eel Pie and then two more on two different labels after that. So which one was released on Eel Pie? The very first album, No Noise From Here. And then you had Shuffle and Cut and Straight to the Heart? Yep, that's right. I'll tell you the story about how we got to where they ended up, but let's carry yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all there in between 78 and 83, and you toured as support for Queen in 1981 throughout Europe. Yeah. Um, and then disbanded in 1984, but you're back now. Uh, and 
guess what, everybody? He's back with a vengeance. Uh, in 2013, I guess you got back together, and, and now you're recording a new original album, uh, which you plan on releasing in 2015? That's correct, yeah. Oh, that's so fantastic. Uh, so I, I listened through the album No Noise From Here. Uh, totally digging it. I mean, it's really, really good stuff. Kind of got me all pumped up and in summer mode, man, to be honest. Uh, I was head bobbing. I kind of wanted to get out there and you know drive around a car and just cause some havoc or something. You'd need to put the hood down, definitely. Stereo <laughs> up, down. That's the way it rolls in, uh, in London. Yeah. So I'm totally idolizing you from here on out, and I'll have to go check some of these local record stores and see if I can't dig up some of those gems. I wonder if anybody has some of those floating around. Um, and then of course I just flat out laughed at the beginning of nicotine boy with all the baths. Oh yeah. That's um, that was uh, uh, Richard Kingsman or boot Kingsman as he's known, uh, was the guy that wrote nicotine boys. And he's passionately, uh, always has been passionately anti-smoking. And he always used to call people that smoked uh, sheep because they just seemed to copy each other. Someone lights a cigarette up, someone else lights a cigarette up. <laughs> and it's very kind of a peer group thing when you're a young teenager. You know, someone starts smoking, everybody starts smoking. And he used to think, why are you killing yourselves with this stuff? So that's where that came from. He still is, is equally as passionate about anti-smoking. I gotcha. I really, really enjoyed the track "Nothing to Live For." Uh, I think that was my favorite one. Super creative. Yeah, that's, that's one of our earliest uh, uh, tracks that we recorded, um, and that was really done at the beginning of the punk thing in London, which kind of happened in the summer of '76. Um, and I was hanging out with um, a lot of those early punks, like Mick Jones from The Clash, um, Sid Vicious. Came around, oh, yeah. yeah. My basement flat and, and nearly destroyed my drum kit, but he was great. Um, uh, Viv Albertine, who was in a band called The Slits, was hanging around at those little parties we used to have. And yeah, it was a, but it was a very um, interesting period because I was slightly older than them, and uh, they're all like 15, 16, 17. I'm 22, 23. Uh, I knew a few more chords than they did. Um, and I was still wearing flared jeans and had long hair, and they were wearing plastic trousers and bondage. <laughs> but uh, it kind of happened overnight. It was suddenly, if you were playing rock music and you had flares and long hair, you were not there anymore in the music scene. It it, uh, it took the whole uh, of London by storm. And that track was kind of written in between that period. So it's kind of a little bit punky lyrically, and but still stuck a bit in the rock um rock and roll kind of um 70s vibe yeah definitely great uh i really did enjoy it's, one it. my, it's one of my favorites still i i kind of really still like the the track um don't know why but i just like it so you don't have any pictures from you know you hanging out with them back then when they're all strapped into that bondage gear do you I don't have, I, you know, because we didn't have iPhones then. Nowadays, you take pictures every minute of the day. Yeah. In those days, it, you had to get a camera out, and you just didn't do things like that back in <laughs> back in '76. <laughs> I, I've got pictures of um, of some of the stuff with Pete Townsend and people we used to hang out with. Uh, we're going to do a kind of book with the new album, which will give like a scrapbook of of the past and 
a really detailed uh, journey of uh, where we came from and where we're going and what we've done. Oh, amazing. Well, let me know about that because I'll definitely be interested in purchasing one of those. Absolutely. Um, I'd love to dig into that. So, But it might be for the best that you didn't have cameras back then, to be honest. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm sure sometimes you find yourself uh, giggling a little bit, thinking about some of those memories, and, and to have a picture of one of those uh, crazy moments would probably be pretty cool. It was pretty crazy. Yeah, it was a yeah, it was a great summer. It it was like a music revolution, uh, and it was very cool that suddenly uh, young kids just started to make records and put them out themselves, and just did gigs anywhere and with not very good equipment. But you know, people loved it, and it was very high energy and very exciting. Well, I, I want to do this little segment called the Breezy Threes because I definitely want to get to know your influences and, and your creative side a little bit. Um, we love discovering new and old music here uh, and especially stuff we've never heard and, and stuff that we have heard that we just haven't heard in a long time. So uh, yeah, what do you think some of your favorite creative works are? Albums or arts or books, any of that? Um, well, I guess... Because I come from a, a 60s background um, uh, and an art school background, uh, I was very heavily influenced by the bands around the kind of mid to late 60s, like the Beatles, obviously the Rolling Stones, the Who, the Kinks, um, and artists like Roy Harper, I really used to like, um, Pink Floyd, uh, the Eagles, mm -hmm. uh, Jackson Brown, Joni Mitchell was a very heavy influence on me um and even strange bands like um captain Beefheart's magic band and little feet and um oh god i could go on i could go on free we talked about earlier um paul rogers great singer um pretty broad but pretty pretty much the standard kind of late 60s pop rock thing and artistically i guess very much into surrealist uh, styles, Salvador Dali, Magritte. That, that was visually what I was uh, interested in. And the kind of classic books like On the Road and Jack Kerouac, all stuff like that. Yeah. Was, yeah, that was the kind of thing that pretty much everybody who was into music and had a kind of art school background was was generally, that was what they were looking at. Klaus yeah. Klaus Oldenburg was great, soft sculptures and yeah, people like that. Yeah, I'm super jealous uh, because of all the fantastic artwork and music that came out of your generation that you it, all have yeah. to experience that we don't get to now. And it's still no, the same think, music that I'm listening to. I think we were very, very lucky. I think the world was starting to change um, in a big way in the 60s um and there's a lot more freedom about a lot more liberation of of ideas a lot more the media was just starting to get into gear tv was starting to get a little bit more adventurous movies the whole media industry kind of exploded in the mid 60s but who do you think if you could pinpoint a couple of your biggest role models or uh, people who essentially influenced you particularly, who would they be? It's got to be John Lennon and Paul McCartney because I kind of grew up with them. Um, they were massive. The Beatles was unbelievable when I was kind of 11, 10, 11. Mm -hmm. 
And my father um, worked at a company called EMI, which you may have heard of. And EMI were the Beatles record label. So he didn't work in the music side. He worked in the scientific side. But he would be able to get the Beatles records the minute the factory pressed them. So I would get them like an hour after they came out of that press. Wow. Fresh. So I was always the first kid on the block to have the new Beatles single. And I don't know, they were just amazing. I mean, that, I guess nowadays the nearest equivalent would be uh, kind of Boyzone or one of those bands. But uh, there was nothing like the Beatles for me at that, you know, they were massive. So, yeah, John Lennon, Paul McCartney, definitely. Do you have a uh, favorite crazy moment that ever happened to you uh, on tour or while you're producing music? Oh yeah, we've got. Um, <laughs> we were doing that album you've been listening to, No Noise from Here, and we were working with um, a quite well-known producer at the time, a guy called John Burns, who produced Genesis. He'd worked with Glyn Johns. He'd worked with the Rolling Stones. He was a crazy, crazy guy. Um, and we were doing some recording with him early on, and it was very late at night. And we were very tired. And we were doing a very, very kind of energetic track i can't remember exactly which one it was but john kept coming out of the control room and going no it sounds tired it's horrible it's too slow it's and we kept doing it and it was still horrible so he um he came out into the room where we were playing with an antique chair it was a really expensive oak antique chair and, and an axe and he smashed the chair to pieces and said <laughs> now play and we were so freaked out and so like uh, it was just so surreal that we we just played and that was the take we ended up with and it was really fast, really loud, very aggressive. <laughs> I, I think we were all kind of paranoid that he was going to axe us. It was like a Charlie Manson moment. Who is this guy? Is he really that crazy? Um, that's how he produced. He, he'd get the artist, he'd just vibe them into some new world so they'd react to his kind of commands. And it worked. It, it kind of worked. So... You know, good on he, John. John's still around. I haven't seen him for a while, but I've been trying to get in touch with him. I would love him to mix something from the new album. You know, he's still in the music business. So if anybody knows John Burns, please put me in touch. <laughs> that would be very, very cool to have that back. Maybe you could uh, get your new iPhone out and take a picture of him smashing another chair for the album cover. Or something. Oh, no, that would be awesome. And also, he's the guy that made all the sheep noises on that. Oh, track. is he? <laughs> he's, yeah, he's a crazy guy. He was, he probably still is, but he was renowned for that kind of behavior to get the artist to do things. It was his production technique and it kind of works. So fine. It's great. Love yeah. it. Press the right buttons and bring out the best in people. Well, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So I, I have to ask, what was the spark to get the band back together? You know, what have you all been doing all these years? Uh, I love, I, I really do love this story and it's, it's so awesome, you know, kind of like unfinished business, getting that feeling and taste uh, and bringing yeah. it back to do something extraordinary and extreme again. So well, how, yeah. how does that feel? It was a very kind of when we actually broke up, It we didn't really break up. We kind of just um, we drifted apart because we ran out of money. Basically, the band was broke. The management were broke. We'd spent everything. We'd done a third, the great third album that wasn't so great. Um, and we just we couldn't even afford to rehearse anymore. We drifted apart. I kept in touch with uh, Boot, the guitar player over the years. 
and I kept in touch with Steve, the bass player. Um, you know, every few years we call each other or we not email no emails then sorry but we vaguely kept in touch on a personal level but we all went away and had kids and got married and did the family thing and got jobs and still played in bands but um i ended up running a recording studio and then i ended up running a music jingles company in soho and that was quite successful and richard kingsman um went into kind of retail selling guitars and playing in bar bands and Steve went to live in Denmark and got married and went to play in some big bands out in Europe and still does. And Paul, the drummer went on to play with a band called the adventures, which were, I think reasonably well known back in the day. Uh, I think he played with a few other people. I can't remember who now, but um, so we kind of kept in touch. And then Steve was 60 uh, a couple of years ago and he phoned me and said, you know, I'm having a big party in Copenhagen and it would be great if the band all came to celebrate and maybe we should go on stage and do a few numbers. And I thought, well, do you know what? That sounds like fun. And we did that and it was fun. It was really good. We had no rehearsal. It just clicked back into place like we were back on the Queen tour. Really? uh, Yeah, it was almost like like we were back uh, 35 years ago. And so we had such a gas that we thought, well, you know what, let's do another album. It, it's We're doing it for us this time. We're not doing it for anybody. We're just going to make a record that we're proud of. And we're going to kind of um, put the bookends at either end and bookend the whole story. Uh, so that's what we're doing. And it's we've been doing it for about a year now. We've got all the songs written and we've recorded nearly half the album and, we're going back in the studio in a couple of months to do some more, and then we're going to get someone to mix it next spring, and then it will be out in the summer. How 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 do you think the music today is different than it was uh, back then? Uh, I think a lot of the difference is that not many bands are actual bands anymore. A lot of people are put together by record companies. There's the pop the pop side of the industry is very formulated. There are a few bands around, but not that many. And recording studios have changed in the fact that they're not actually very big anymore. There's no room to actually play as a band in most of them. Uh, So a lot of people are constrained by recording stuff on computers and programming it, sequencing it, um, and then adding a few live overdubs. Hasn't quite got the feel that it used to have. So it's very formulated. there's some great stuff coming out that I buy music all the time by loads of new bands and there's some really cool stuff around, but uh, there's not as many great live bands around. There's a few, I have to say most of them seem to come from America. I don't know whether in the States there's a different, I think there's more live music going on in the States. Oh, Whereas it's my the, favorite every night. Well, yeah, you can't beat watching a live band uh, in England. There's so few places to play unless you're on the kind of stadium big circuit there's there's no bars anymore wow. even when even when the punk scene was around there were loads of bars where you could play now they've all been turned into supermarkets and no one goes to pubs anymore and no one watches live music so there's no kind of early grounding for young players it's difficult to get a gig so people make stuff in their bedrooms and it's it's all very computerized and very sterile i think a lot of the music yeah it's a bit depressing, isn't it? 
Well, it is. I mean, even we've found it hard to find studios which don't cost millions of pounds to go in and record live. And we, you know, we think we've found one that we're going to later in the year. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. But it is very difficult to find a, a room big enough to all set up in and, and play live and get a good sound um, without spending a shed load of, of money. So. Yeah. so how do you think that your music in particular is different from it was back then? Well, I think we've all matured as obviously as people. I hope we have after 35 years. Um, we uh, we've all got a lot of influences, and we've now kind of realised what we're good at, what we really kind of our strengths are. Uh, so this album, I think, will be not quite as eclectic as a lot of the old Straight Eight stuff, and it will have. I'm hoping it's going to have a sound where people go, "That's Straight Eight." because we're trying to refine that, you know, what the sound of the vocal, the sound of the guitar, the sound of the drums, the sound of the bass. And it, this album's got a much stronger identity and it's more focused. And we're using a lot of modern technology as well. So I don't want it to sound like it was recorded in 1983. It's, it's going to sound like it's recorded today, but it'll have old stuff on, old influences and a more modern sound. Yeah, just curious, who were... Who are some of your favorite live bands today? Oh, Kings of Leon, I think, really do it for me live at the moment. Um, yeah, they're from Tennessee. That's where they're, I am. They're a fabulous band. Uh, I love Ed Sheeran. I think Ed Sheeran, even when he's on his own, is an amazing performer. Has so much energy, and what he can do with a, a voice and an acoustic guitar is is really, really good. Uh, yeah, I think he's great. Um. To be honest, I don't go out and watch a lot of bands because it's so expensive. I mean, to go to see a good band can cost a lot of money in England. Um, you're talking, I guess, a couple of hundred dollars, hundred pounds English money. Yeah, it, it's it's expensive. Uh, so you've got to be pretty selective. I think I went to see Jackson Brown uh, a couple of years ago. He was pretty good. Um you know, but I don't, I don't, there's not, as I said, there's not any, any places to go and see bands in, you know, there's very few venues where you can just walk into a bar and, and go, oh, they're good. That's a good band. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, uh, the band Radiohead, they're out of Oxford. Uh, yeah. It's on a very good live show. Uh, 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 yeah. And I guess Coldplay do, but they, yeah. they've got a lot of money. <laughs> behind them to put on the lasers and the lights and the backdrops and the it's you know i think that these bands you've got to have a lot of backing to go and do these shows and i would like to go back to the real basic go back into bars and just set up a couple of amps and a drum kit and a, and a hammond organ and hammer it out through a small pa i went to see a really good um beatles covers band in copenhagen recently and they were it was like going to see the Beatles in 1965. It was an absolutely incredible show, and they were using really minimal equipment, and it sounded amazing, and it just was just great, really exciting. So it can be done. Well, you, Rick, you need to come on over here to the States because you could do that every night if you wanted to out here. Well, you know what? I've never been to America, and I've always wanted to go, and we were meant that what part of the Straight Eight story is just prior to um, – uh, us going on tour, a world tour with the Who, 
uh, we were going to be the support band and go to the States. And Pete Townsend was going to sign a deal with Atlantic Records. And I was shaking hands with Irma Ertigan, one of my heroes. And the deal was done. And then about a week later, Keith Moon passed away, which was tragic. And oh. and Pete just, I, I was with Pete the day Keith died and he, Pete came downstairs. Uh, he looked absolutely awful. He had a bottle of brandy in his hand, which, which was three quarters gone. And I said, Pete, you all right? And he said, no, I'm not all right. The silly bastard's gone and done it. And it was, oh, what? And that was it. Keith had, had died. And Pete just said, that's the end of The Who. And it was it kind of was the end of the who actually for about a year or two. And the, the record deal never happened with Atlantic and the world tour never happened. And consequently everything went on ice for about a year and a half, by which time we'd been kind of dropped by Eel Pie and we'd been signed to another label. Everything's changing. So yeah, that was a, that wasn't good. Do you, do you ever think about what it would be like uh, if that hadn't have happened? Um, yeah, I do think about it, and I'm not sure how we'd have coped with it. Um, it would have been interesting. I mean, it was great when we toured with Queen, and it was amazing to watch a band on that level every night putting on the most amazing show and making us look like kind of midgets because they were so big and brash and loud and powerful, and we were small, tight, and energetic. Uh, so it, it was interesting. I think we'd have learned a lot. I'm not sure we were quite ready for it. We were really pushed into that era, uh, kind of, uh, when we met Pete Townsend, it was a little bit too much too soon. We'd done a little bit of groundwork and a few kind of uh, gigs around London, but we, we should have done about two more years on the road before that happened in an ideal world. So um, I think we'd have been a bit overwhelmed. If it happened tomorrow, I think we'd be amazing because we don't do. Can you tell us a little bit about the first time uh, that you that you had a deal? Uh, you know, the memory of when you got your first signed gig or the first time you were offered a deal, uh, well, this either is, from Pete's label? This is a funny story because I was working in um, a record shop. My brother owned a little kind of electronics shop and I was to earn a bit of pocket money. I would help him out and buy and sell secondhand records. And one day a guy comes in with about 50 shrink wrapped brand new American import albums and they were, you know, never been opened. And I was going, well, you know, I was a bit wary of this because I thought, hang on a minute, has he stolen these? Turns out he was a journalist, a music journalist called Peter Mikowski. And he wrote for sounds magazine. And as a sideline, he was a talent scout for Pete Townsend's new label. And of course, I got talking to him and found out what he did. And I asked him to listen to our tape and come to a gig, which he did. He liked the gig. He liked the tape. He gave the tape to Pete Townsend. Two weeks later, my phone rings in my shop and it's Pete Townsend saying, Rick, uh, this is Pete Townsend. I'd like to meet you. I love your music. And I'm going, yeah, really thinking it's a joke. But anyway, two weeks after that, I met Pete. We had a drink and signed a publishing deal. And he took the band on and that was the beginning of the thing. But when I talk to young people now about record deals and getting a record deal, a lot of people think, yeah, we've made it. But actually, that's just the beginning of the journey because the record deal is you haven't made it. You've got a lot of work to do after you sign that bit of paper. So it's just the beginning. 
it's the beginning of a journey, not the end of a journey. But every single person that you reach out and talk to, uh, particularly like you did, it opens a new door and, and everybody needs to get out of their comfort zone and, and don't be afraid of, of reaching out and telling people what you do. Because if you would have never given him your tape, you know, none of that probably would have ever happened. No, of course not. You need to be confident and slightly, um, the English word would be cocky. It's like kind of really pushing yourself. And and I certainly was, in, I still am, I guess, but not quite as brash. But I, I was very confident about um, giving people the tape because I was pretty proud of the tape. Even though listening to it today, I probably think, oh, my God, it's terrible. But then it was great. And, uh, yeah, we were all very, very confident, I guess, and we did push ourselves. And I think, yeah, I would always advise a band. I think my main advice to a young band is keep going. Uh, don't give up and believe in yourselves. And being in a band is great because there's usually four or five people. And that's a really powerful bit of energy you can get going. Yeah, if you really are passionate about something and you truly love it, you know, put yeah. everything you have into it. Because somebody yeah. out there is going to love it also. And they're going to want to help you do it or contribute yeah. to it somehow. I am convinced of that. Yeah, it's a definite energy thing and I've seen it with other bands and it definitely it really works. And consequently it can also work the other way if you give off the negative or oh, we're not very good or we're mm -hmm. bit, that's going to put people off. So yeah, always big yourself up and be confident and believe in what you do definitely. Yeah, and even if you get knocked down and and beat up. You, you can down. learn from everything. You are going to get knocked down. Everybody gets knocked down. That's life. No one's ever going to love you. No, you know, everybody won't love you. Some people will love you. Some people will hate you. Some people will be indifferent. And that will be true. I mean, even if you're Freddie Mercury or Pete Townsend or John Lennon, you're going to get both love and hate. So learn to live with it. It's my, my kind of answer to that. <laughs> What was the uh, the craziest thing you ever remember from touring with Queen? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, the after-show party at the end of the tour in East Berlin. Uh, at that time, there was still a big wall between East and West Berlin. Um, oh, yeah. So it was a weird – that was pretty weird because there's Russian soldiers on one side and Americans and Germans and English on the other, and you cross into the East. And they decided to have an end-of-tour party in a place – called the black cat club i don't know if it's still there but it was a very very seedy nightclub in east berlin if i remember rightly and it it was a crazy like debauched drunken there was strippers there was live sex shows there was unlimited amounts of drugs and cocaine <laughs> and uh, alcohol and our lovely roadie peter russell who's um i've just actually got in touch with through facebook so he's still He's still doing it. Um, somehow he got so, so drunk. And he's a big guy. He's a big guy. We had to carry him out of the building because he was just slobbering on the floor. And it was just mayhem. It was crazy. And there was a Roger Taylor flew in his Playboy girlfriend, a centerfold, Playboy centerfold, who came in on Concord just for the party. And I was so drunk, I think I asked her to dance while he was talking to her, and she danced with me. I don't think he was too impressed with that. <laughs> uh, it's just madness the whole evening. I, 
That sounds pretty wild. It was very wild. And do you know what? That entire tour of three months, I did not say one word to Freddie Mercury. And Freddie Mercury, Freddie Mercury said not one word to me or anybody except his own road crew. Wow, that's pretty that, interesting. That was weird. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't even talk to his own band, let alone us. Yeah, He'd that's... arrive in a Mercedes limo with his own people, do a sound check, and then get in the Mercedes limo, go back to the hotel, then arrive back, do the show, and then leave. It was a very odd um, kind of thing to watch. But but we that, the party was, was wild, yeah. That was a good night. It was very wild. You spent a lot of time around Pete, I guess. Yeah. Was there anything in particular that stands out uh, that you learned from him? Oh, God. Um, well, he's an incredible musician. He, people think of Pete Townsend as this kind of windmill-armed guitar player. Uh, I found out through working around him that he was a, a very um, kind of talented piano player, um, multi-instrumentalist, he, all styles of music. Uh, and he taught me that um, doing a demo for a song um, and getting it more or less right was a really good kind of uh, time-consuming but very useful tool for bands because he played me some of the Who demos that he played everything on, drums, bass, guitar, and sang every part. And to be honest, do you know what? They sounded better than the Who, uh, uh, amazingly. And the Who just used to copy the demos. But wow. all that, he'd done all the work. So when they went in the studio, it was, Roger, just sing it like that. John, play the bass like that. Keith, play that drum beat. Uh, so he'd done a lot of the work, and he knew it was right. Basically, I always think in a band that usually someone has got to have the vision and the power and the uh, confidence to say, you know what, this is how this is going to be. Let's just do it. Um, you know, that people add their little bits and their personality to the end thing. But essentially, you need, it's like building a house. You need those foundations. Someone needs to be really um, together and uh, really confident about the music before the band get it, you know. So it, it just saves a lot of time. So, yeah, you taught me that don't just give a band a sketch. Try and give them the, as much as you can finished. And then the band usually make it a lot better. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, if if there was a little guy out there, let's say a little Rick, uh, he was wanting to put all of his heart and soul into becoming, you know, this badass musician, and he wants to, you know, slay tracks and tour uh, all over the place, and he really is willing to put in uh, the, the blood, sweat, and tears to do this. You know, what yeah. what is one piece of advice that you would give him right now uh, that he could go do, uh, or that he should never forget. Uh, I guess eat, sleep, breathe your music and, and never give up. I mean, really, if you're going to do music, just do it and really work on it. Uh, and don't be put off by criticism. Just get your heart and soul into it and give it your best shot. And that will that will rub out, that will kind of come over on your product, on your songs, on your music. Yeah, persistence is everything. I think persistence is everything. And I think it's the same. If you want to be a, a great sports player, then you've got to practice and you've got to 
work at it you can't it's not just going to happen you it's, it's hard work but if you love what you do it won't be hard work and the more you do and the more you practice the more you play in front of people the more you write and learn stuff the better you'll be yeah and you could take that advice and apply it to you know any part of life really you know we don't yeah. always feel like doing something but sometimes you just have to do it for the best uh, I mean, if, yeah. if if we all sat around and only did things we felt like doing, nobody would accomplish anything. No one would. Nobody accomplish. would learn and nobody would live those lives that they love to live. No, and I, I, but unfortunately, we're living in a culture at the moment where the media is kind of almost promising people um, like X Factor and pop star and The Voice that <laughs> just come on this program and you're going to be a megastar. Well, that is not real. And I don't think people should really believe that that's how easy it is. It's you need to put the groundwork in and uh, you need to believe in yourself and be passionate about what you're doing. Yeah. There's no such thing as an overnight success. All of those overnight successes take 10 years in the making to even get started. Yeah. And I'm amazed. Sometimes I read band biogs. I think I was reading the Kings of Leon or something. I read these and they've been going for years. They've been playing in bars and in really horrible places and they've learned their trade they've learned they've made mistakes in front of six people that's what that's where you make your mistakes yeah you know something that's interesting is uh, you know i'm from tennessee which is where they essentially are from i know they had to stay in oklahoma there for a while but Mm. when i was uh, pretty young in high school i saw kings of leon play for the first time and there were probably eight or nine people there yeah and so right. to think about it now, in yeah. their style back then, it was really a lot of yelling and screaming, and it was yeah. awesome, grungy music. Yeah. And now to look at them, you know, just selling out any place they touch all over the world. And I know they're it's huge worked. in Europe. They're a real hardworking rock band, and they're, I guess I would imagine they're a very tight like group of friends. They're almost like a family, and that's important as well with a band. A band is a family. You spend a lot of time with a band. It's like being married to four people and it's it's such a great thing when the four or five of you are all really into what you're doing and it's it's the energy level is incredible you can't there's nothing to touch that yeah and what's very interesting about them is they actually are family it's three brothers and a first cousin oh really i never knew that well okay well there you go yeah the Fowells. yeah yeah, yeah. It's pretty amazing. cool. They they there's a documentary they did. I think it was on Showtime or HBO a, a few years back, and mm. it, it goes through all their struggles together. And uh, it's pretty interesting stuff if you get a chance to check it out. Yeah, we will check that out. That sounds great. Yeah. All right. So, real quick before we get into the closing questions, Rick. Uh, yeah. This is something that I just personally want to know. What was the greatest live show that you've ever seen? Whoa. Oh, I know. I know. I know. Actually, there's two. Can I have two? You can have two. Okay. The uh, one was Jimi Hendrix experience at the Royal Albert Hall in London. Oh, no way. 1968. You were First, there? I was there about 12 rows back and I, uh, my mouth was open for about two hours because I had never heard or seen a guitar player as amazing uh, and as powerful as that. So that was number one. And the other one was the Pink Floyd performing, I think, their album Umma Gumma at the Royal Albert Hall as well, when they turned the entire um, kind of concert hall into a jungle. 
and they had quadraphonic sound so there were birds flying around you and wow it, it was it, it felt like a jungle and they put palm trees in and everything and then they did this incredible live show it was like watching a movie and the sound was incredible and it was just you were just transfixed for about two hours so that was pretty amazing yeah yeah pink pink floyd is still one of my favorites of all time i yeah. absolutely love them i think they did a lot to change music back then they were very innovative and ahead of their time absolutely and very visual and they hope they, they started the whole visual thing which a lot of bands use now yeah, talk about creative. They they nice shows and create and backdrops and and yeah, very very good. They didn't move around a lot though. I must say, they were <laughs> they weren't exciting to watch. If you'd put Pink Floyd on stage in a bar, I think you'd probably fall asleep. But <laughs> as a live kind of theatrical concept, they are amazing. You couldn't beat them. Yeah, I could totally see that though. It kind of goes and plays into their music though. Yeah, that's uh, right. More like composers almost. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So it, if you could, well, if you had to battle Godzilla, how yeah. would you use your creativity and talents to defeat that big bastard? I would get uh, my lead guitarist, Boot Kingsman, to set up his, um, his stack of amplifiers and play one power chord <laughs> <laughs> with everything at maxed out. And I think that would defeat any monster. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I think that would take him down immediately, quick to the point so. and very effective. I think so. I'm so honored to be here with you today. Uh, and I just wanted to say thanks so much for coming on the show and being a part of the Archipreneur now. Uh, you've really pumped me up, and I think the audience is going to feel the same way too. It's such a warm feeling seeing you come back to reassemble and, and finish those dreams. And I wish you the most success in the world. Everybody needs to take a lesson and never give up on yourself. Keep moving forward. Keep trying. You know, The story of human existence is the story of men and women selling themselves short. So definitely don't be one of those people. Live right now. Uh, live for the moment. And attack everything that you love with all you can. Well, hey, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to be on your show, and I've really enjoyed it too. It's been great, and I'm really looking forward to coming to Tennessee and buying some guitars in all those lovely guitar shops you have and uh, maybe meeting you guys and going to a few gigs. So, If you come out here, I'll buy you a guitar. How's that? <laughs> I'll buy you a beer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we say goodbye, do you have any favorite advice uh, that you would like to share with our listeners? Um. Just keep listening to the music and keep rocking. Yeah, rock out. And yeah. how can our listeners get in contact with you? Well, they can email us through our Bandcamp site, Straight 8 Bandcamp. Um, we're, I'm getting everything on iTunes now and Amazon. And uh, they can email me at straight8music um, at gmail.com. Um, that's straight8music, all one word, gmail.com. But just go on the Bandcamp website. We're there. It's got all the contact details. And I will put all of those on the show notes on artsynow.com so you That's can get right. on there and link straight to it. Uh, and I'll put the Twitter and, and your yeah. band website and all that on there. So That's great, Heath. Thank you. Well, Rick, it's been a pleasure, man. You're amazing. And uh, just thanks so much for being the Archipreneur now. And always remember to keep it funky. Take care. 
Thank you for listening to the Entrepreneur Now podcast. For all the show notes and more information, please visit artsynow.com. That's A-R-T-S-Y now.com. Thank you. The music for this podcast was provided by Shaky Feeling out of Ventura, California. For more information, please visit shakyfeeling.com. Keep it funky.